Let's get into the Sermon on the Mount together. I am, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know if geeking out is the right word, but I've been geeking out a lot over the Sermon on the Mount. I'm, it, it's challenging to me. Uh, when I read it, I've read it before. I'm, many of you have heard the, all these words before, and you've read it before. And I don't know if you're like me, but when, when you really get into who is Jesus and what did Jesus really say in those moments, it's, it's, it's eye-opening that, that his words are so full of truth and mercy mercy and grace, and they're challenging, and they encourage me. Uh, every time I read it, no matter what stage of life I'm in, I'm always prompted to, to live this out more truly, more fully, and, and to, to trust who he says that I am over what the world says that I am, and who he says we should be, and who we should be striving to be over what the world says I deserve, and what is rightfully mine. The Sermon on the Mount is in the book of Matthew, and it's kind of the, the, the first big uh, 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 oration, first big uh, statement from Jesus. Matthew, the author, has spent a lot of time trying to explain to us that Jesus is the rightful king, and now the king has stepped forward in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's saying, let me tell you what the kingdom is like. Let me tell you what God is really like. And so he starts laying out those beatitudes, those blessed statements, and he says, the world says this, but I'm telling you in reality, this is what God wants for us, and this is, this is what God is like, and this is what God values in his people. And so we learn things that like, we, we we don't respond with strength, we respond with meekness. We learn that in moments of mourning, there is a blessing because those who mourn will be comforted. We learn that uh, to be merciful is to be praised over getting what's yours and getting revenge uh, because uh, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And so as we unpacked that over those few weeks, we start to see that the, the kingdom that, that God and Jesus is describing here is upside down from everything we've been taught, everything that the world ha- has taught us. And if I had to be honest with you, this sounds more satisfying to me than, than just like the strongest man wins out there. You know, This sounds more satisfying to me that, that we look out for each other and, and we're honest about our weaknesses. And then uh, as we unpacked it, there, there was this question that probably came up in the crowd. And if, you, if you're new to Christianity, this may be an honest question that you have. Is, as the people were listening to Jesus talk about uh, the, being the salt and being the light, is, is, the question probably came up like, is, is he starting a new religion? Or is this, is this the same as the Old Testament, what we've all grown up to know? Or is this something completely different? Like, are we moving to like worship Zeus or something? Is, is it a completely different religion? And Jesus' response to that rhetorical question or the unasked question, was he, he didn't come to abolish the law. Everything we know about the Ten Commandments, everything we know that was laid down by Moses, he, he says, I didn't come to destroy that or to do away with it or to start something new. I came to fulfill it. And so what we're left with as, as believers in Jesus is that we serve a Jesus, according to those, we serve a Jesus who has fulfilled the law so that when we run face first into our mistakes, instead of guilt and shame bringing us down, guilt and shame should force us to look to the cross, to look to Jesus. We're going to unpack that some in a moment. Last week, uh, Jesus was all up in her business, uh, my business included. If you were here last week, you're probably still like, man, I just really wanted to be mad at Susan from accounting. But, but Jesus spent a, a good bit of time uh, talking about um, anger and how we respond to people and how we decide, like, do, do I get what's mine? Do I seek revenge? Um, and Jesus was very clear. Jesus was, was super clear that, that we as Christians, um, he's removed permission for us to hate people. 
He's just removed it. It's not an option. There's not like a godly way that I can hate another person and be a follower of Jesus perfectly. Uh, I would have to say, I heard what you said, Jesus, but I'm going to choose to hate this person anyway. And okay. And Jesus is like, well, uh, you're, you're, your heart is just going to harden because he chose that. Uh, but his way would be that we choose uh, forgiveness over hate. And that, and that every time we uh, find ourselves in a moment of anger, and you, you may be like me, I, I grew up with a really short fuse. Uh, that was my excuse anyway, right? You know, like, you just don't, don't do me wrong. Like, I will, I will just annihilate you. You poke me in the eye, and I will catch your car on fire. Like, I will just, like, go full-on napalm uh, just, just to get back at you because I'm not going to be taken advantage of. And Jesus's response to that is, hey, maybe Jesse, maybe you shouldn't like hold the ledger so close and keep the, the book so balanced. It's actually possible for me to take the entire ledger of all the people that I'm mad at and just be like, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose grace instead because God was amazingly graceful and merciful to me. Jesus always holds the actions of the father as the measuring stick by which we should be. And so when I look at the actions of the Father and I see that the Father has forgiven me of such great uh, problems, uh, who am I to hold a ledger and a balance of you poking me in the eye? That's nonsense. That's nonsense. When I was in middle school, uh, I, I told you I had a short fuse, uh, and it was my way of just like telling people, like, hey, don't, don't mess with me. And so I would just go, go off on them. And so there was this moment in middle school. I'm in sixth grade. Any sixth graders in here? We have a few. I know. Uh, that's the sixth grade row right there. Lori, congratulations. You're in sixth grade. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, and uh, when I was in sixth grade, I remember I had a day. I was just having a bad day. Uh, I was already mad. I probably woke up mad. I rolled out of the bed on the left side, which everybody knows is the wrong side of the bed. And I just, I went to school mad. Uh, I'm walking through the halls mad. I'm mad at my science teacher. I don't know who I'm mad at or what I'm mad at. I'm just mad at everything. You know what I'm saying? And as I'm going through the hall, uh, this guy, uh, he comes and he like hip checks me into the lockers and I didn't see him coming and it was really uncalled for. It should have been just like, Hey, how you doing? But it's like a full on boom. I dropped my books and I'm just, I'm, I am mad. Uh, and so I just I flare up. And like I said, I would tell everybody I had a short fuse. And so I chase this kid down and we have a little tussle as guys will do. Um, and it was over and, and it was settled. And I, I showed him like, you don't mess with me in the hall, buddy. Uh, and there was like clapping and like, Oh, you know how people get when there's a fight? Like, yeah, yeah. No, none of these guys are fighting. Uh, thank goodness this is before YouTube where it would have ended up like everybody just whips out their phones like, yeah, we got something juicy. And, uh, and it was over. And as far as I was concerned, the ledger is clear. Uh, I, should, I should have been done with it. But then the, a couple of guys start talking. It's like, man, I can't believe he disrespected you like that. I can't, I can't believe, like, can you believe like what he did to you? He just, he made a laughing stock of you. And I, I'm listening to this. I'm, I'm some sixth grade guy who's mad and I, I don't know. And so uh, I kind of, I kind of take it, I internalize it. And I, I say, you know, you're right. I, I deserve to be respected more than that God respected me. And so it went from the laws of they, he got what he deserved to, well, what do I deserve? It went to me saying, I deserve he to know he never does this again. And so I spent the next day and a half like messing with this guy and just kind of putting him in his place. And it turns out, you may not know this, it turns out if you mess with a guy long enough and then you, you catch like a padlock to the face, it kind of ends all that. And so that's how that ended. He just got tired of me messing with him and he hit me with a padlock in the face. Uh, and I quickly decided I don't care what he deserves or what I deserve. I'm just going to go home and mind my own business. Uh, it settles it so, so quick, so quick. Last week, uh, when we looked at anger, I, I called it the laws of they. And we always point to the they. Uh, what do they deserve? We, we, our kids are always concerned, like, well, what about my little brother? What about my big brother? What, they were doing this. And we always point to the they. Do, are they going to get what they deserve? 
And now, and now Jesus, what he's going to talk about, and it's going to be some, some uh, adultish uh, content, but, but what he's going to talk about is what about when we turn the mirror around and we ask ourselves, what, what about me? What, what about what I deserve? What I thought I deserved in sixth grade was more respect from the guy that I had a tussle with, and I, I didn't. Like, there was, it was an accident to begin with, and I just I blew it out of proportion. And more often than not, we find ourselves in situations where it's not really that we're mad at somebody else, but we're looking out for our own interests. And it's like, what do I deserve in this moment? And we have friends that will come and friends, air quote friends, that will come and tell us like, you know, you deserve so much better. You deserve so much better than that. I can't believe you put up with that. I mean, honestly, and these air quote friends keep telling you what you deserve and you start asking yourself, what do I deserve? And it's in those moments where we start asking ourselves, what do I deserve? And we start kind of, you know, uh, embellishing a little bit or making uh, uh, caveats, making compromises, that we find out that we end up in positions that we never intended to be in with consequences that are far bigger than what we intended them to be, like a padlock to the face. Uh, and, and now we're left with the ramifications, all beginning with, well, what about me? I'm going to get what I deserve. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5. I'm going to start in verse 27. Let me tell you why I'm teaching a little bit out of order. I said last week that there's this letter in Greek called Achai, and there's this literary element called a chiasm. Chiasm, uh, real short, if you just look at the shape of the X and just take like one slant of it, like boom, boom, uh, this is how stories are sometimes told. And this is how uh, this part of Matthew is told. It's told where like the first point and the last point match up, and then the second point and the next to the last point match up, and they kind of go inward. Uh, and so we went with anger, and it was like both sides of the chapter we taught. Now I'm just going to teach that middle section, because in the echoing of these ideas, what we find out is that God is, or Jesus is making a much bigger point than just the specifics of anger and the specifics of adultery. He's making the bigger point of there's a problem with the heart. And let me show you in all of these examples what is going on. Someone uh, uh, after, after last week was saying, hey, I was watching uh, The Shining. You guys know The Shining? Say, hey, here's Johnny. And he says, hey, uh, I saw on YouTube that if you, if you flip the movie around and play it in reverse at the same time playing it forward, that they line up perfectly. Like each point lines up. I haven't done this yet. I haven't checked it. But I said, that's a chiasm. That's exactly the same thing, that, that the points line up across the movie. Uh, so you, Stanley Kubrick, and uh, you know, uh, Jack Nicholson get together and figure out if that is true about the, the shining. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 27. And he says, you have heard it said, um, you shall not commit adultery. And remember, he's been doing this, and he, he does it a total of six times in, the, in, the ch- in chapter 5. The, you have heard it said, but I'm going to say to you. Uh, and, and what he's hearkening back to is like, in your churches, in your synagogues, or when you're with your friends, you've heard it said this, uh, and that this is the, the final truth of the matter. But I'm going to say unto you instead that this thing is the truer thing. You have always believed that God cared very much about this, but in fact, God's going to care more about this instead. So you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And we can all agree that this is like a pretty good rule to live by, right? All married couples are like, yes and amen. Uh, we're not like, we're not going to like waver from that. And Jesus isn't going to waver from it either. You should know though, that this is a really old statement. This is a, a cultural norm. Uh, he's speaking to a room that kind of understands Judaism and he's speaking under the umbrella of what we call the law, which is very Jewish. 
Um, but the idea of adultery being off limits isn't just a Jewish idea. It's much older than that. I said last week when we were talking about anger and the eye for an eye that that was in Hammurabi's code. It was also in Hammurabi's code, which is 500 years older than the Ten Commandments. Uh, that, hey, don't, don't cheat on your spouses. Don't commit adultery. Uh, it was, it's a very old uh, law. It says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, and we should probably underline that word intent, uh, has already committed adultery with her in his heart and underline the word heart. In every step of this, uh, even back when we were talking about anger last week, every step of this, Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall not, and then whatever the finishing of that is, it's like an outward action that everybody would be able to obviously see what was going on. And then he says, but I say to you, and then he finishes it with this like super inward secret thing that only you and your creator are aware of. Nobody knows what the intent of the heart is except you and your God. And he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, it's much bigger than that. The, 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 the problem isn't whether or not you step out. The problem isn't whether or not your feet actually take off and walk. The problem is that your heart has intent. And he says, by looking at a woman lustfully uh, with intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Let's continue. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's very violent right away. Uh, I, I've never known a Christian, uh, even, even like there's some weird like corners of Christianity, can we agree? Like there's a whole corner of Christianity that just on a regular Sunday, they all get bit by snakes. That's like a thing. Uh, really weird stuff. Uh, I've never seen the weird corner of Christianity. It's like, yeah, I really like that right eye. It worked for me for the last 29 years, but you know, it's, it's done. Pluck and just tears it out. Nobody's ever taken this so literal. Uh, and Jesus is saying, if you find out that your eye is the problem, uh, it's better for you to just get rid of it. He'll, he'll continue with, with this metaphor. He says, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members, that being the eye, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And I said last week, I'll say it again, you probably have a note in the bottom of your Bible. The word hell is the Greek word Gehenna. It's, it's right here in my notes. Uh, Gehenna is a physical place. It is a, it is a trash dump on the south of Jerusalem. It's so the entire city, when they emptied their garbage cans, would throw it in this valley called Gehenna, and it was constantly on fire. It was, it was, it was where like homeless people went for extra scraps. It smelled terrible like it does when you go to the landfill and you're like emptying out that trailer and the wind is blowing in from the south and you're like, what is wrong with my community and why do they keep throwing away stinky things? That's Gehenna. And he says, it's better for you to just like get rid of that eyeball than for you to make a mistake and get thrown into the dump, get thrown into hell. And he says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, go ahead and cut that sucker off too. Get rid of that, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Again, that word hell is, is Gehenna. I've, I've shared with you for the last uh, few weeks, months now, that I had a weird thing happen with my eye. And as I'm reading this about the right eye causing to sin, it, it, it caused, uh, I'm like, yes, I, I, need, I need somebody to help me with my eye. Because one day, let me tell you what happened to me. Uh, probably it was in August, so whatever that was, two months ago. I'm sitting on the porch, I'm minding my own business. I'm doing nothing physically exerting. I am kicked back, feet up. I'm, I'm doing nothing. And then my vision in my eye, left eye, not right eye, my vision in my left eye just turns white like static, like TV static, 
those of you who remember what TV static looks like, uh, that's what my eye did. And I, I told Ashley, I told my wife, I said, uh, hey, my eye's doing something weird. And she said, okay, <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? And uh, like after a few minutes, it goes away. And that's it. I was like, okay, that was kind of weird. It's kind of like you just see stars or whatever. I didn't think anything of it. It's done. It's gone. Next day, about the same time of day, happens again. It's like someone just like turns the dial on my eyeball. It, oh, I said, Ashley's doing that thing again. She said, what thing? It's like, it's, it's like, it's like a static. She goes, maybe you're weird. And, and then 10 minutes later, it goes away. The next day I wake up with it. I wake up, I open my eyes and it's like static. It's white. It's not right. And it doesn't go away. And so I sit there with it for a few days, and I was like, man, something's wrong with my eye. I need to go see an eye doctor. Why? Because I have a problem with my eye. We would all agree at this point that I have a problem with my eye, right? I go to the eye doctor, they look inside my eye, and they're like, oh, my lanta, you've got a big problem. Oh, what's that? He says, you had a stroke in your eye, uh, and, and it's caused some damage in your eye. Okay, am I going to lose my eye? No, your eye's fine. Are you sure? Because I can't see too good out of it. Like sometimes like now it'll flicker, it'll turn colors. It does weird things, but I can still see you out of the eye. Uh, like, your problem isn't your eye. Your problem is you have, you have, you have uh, blood clot. You, know, you have something wrong with your heart. I'm like, nope, guaranteed. My heart doesn't hurt. It's my eye. I promise it's my eye. I can see just fine out of my heart. It's my eye. And they say, no, no. And they, they say, really, you, re- you should be more concerned about this and stop making jokes. They said, uh, they said you, you probably should go see an ER. Uh, you, need to go see, you need to go to the emergency room right now. They were telling me to go, like, go get this done. And uh, who knows what it is. Uh, turns out my heart's fine as far as everything has been checked out. But the point is, um, everything I said, there's a problem with my eye. And everything the doctors who knew better said, there's not a problem with your eye, there's a problem with your heart. You, you need to go get your heart looked at, because that heart's going to kill you. I'm like, no, it's my eye, that's the problem. And Jesus, he's talking about lustful intent. He says that, that, that it's the heart. He said, he said that God is more concerned about the heart. He says, if you find out that it's your, your eye that's causing you problems, get rid of it. If you find out it's your hand causing you problems, get rid of it. If you find out that these are the things that are causing you problems, you should cut that out. And when he gets down and he drills in, he says, you know what the real problem is? And this is the problem of all of us. The doctor says, the problem isn't that outward looking sin that everybody's aware of. It's not even the sin that you are like most conscious of. The, the problem is that all of us have a broken and deceitful heart. It's our heart that's the problem, not lust, not anger, not idolatry. It's our heart. But your friend, who means well, tells you, hey, honey, just follow your heart. Your heart will lead you on the path of truth. It's like every Disney movie ends with, you know how it's going to end? They followed their heart, and they saved the nation, and Moana got a gem, and like, what happened? Well, they all followed their heart. Well, Disney says that that's a great idea. The Bible says, on the other hand, that your heart really, really is a bad God, and it really isn't very kind to you. Jeremiah says in uh, 17.9, you've heard this verse before, if, if not, put it on a mug, you know, uh, the Lord has a plan for you, and also the heart is deceitful. <laughs> Those are your two mugs. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Old Testament looks at the heart, the human heart, the condition of the heart, and says, you know what, we, we lie to ourselves. Our heart lies to me and tells me I deserve this, and it's wrong. The heart, the heart is leading me to destruction. Who can understand this heart? Can I, can I tell you something? Uh, who here has ever, ever made a mistake that they regret? Anything. You don't have to tell me what it is. Just show of hands. Made a mistake that you regret. Everybody. Okay, 100% of you that raised your hands, which is 100% of you, um, uh, the reason you made that mistake is because in that moment, your heart told you this is a really good idea. Every time, 100% of the time. 
I've never made a mistake where my heart was like, don't do it, don't do it, you don't wanna do that. I'm like, you know what? I'm just ready to ruin my life and I'll just jump into it. I've never done that. It's always like my heart is just lied to me. It's like, Jesse, you deserve it. They're gonna get what's coming to them. Uh, and you know what? You've, you've just had a really stressful couple of weeks and so the heart wants to destroy me and I don't know why. I don't know why it wants to destroy me, but it does. Jesus talks about the heart in Mark. I'm gonna turn there real quick. Uh, you may, you may wanna to turn to it if you have your Bible. If not, I'll show it behind you. Uh, Mark chapter seven, Jesus is trying to teach people about the heart. It becomes very clear to me that they don't really understand what he's saying, uh, but that's okay. Uh, Mark chapter seven, verse 14. Jesus says, uh, says this, and he called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. He says, everybody, get here. I got to tell you something. I'm going to blow your mind. Understand this. There's nothing that comes into the person that is defiling the person. It's the stuff that comes out of the person that defiles the person. And that was the end of the lesson. So verse 17, and when he had entered the house, so he, he leaves the people, he walks into the house, he just like drops the truth bomb, and he left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable. Uh, I don't know uh, if, if this is Bible nerd in me. Parable is a very specific thing. A parable is a made-up story with made-up characters to make one specific point. Jesus didn't tell a parable. He told just the main point. He, just, he said, it's not the stuff that you put in you that's defiling you. It's the stuff that's coming out of you that's defiling you. And so the disciples think, oh, yeah, he's told one of those secret stories. Let's go ask him the secret. Hey, Jesus, tell me about that parable. It wasn't a parable. It wasn't. Verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Let me get this straight. You don't know what I'm talking about either. It says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. Can, moment of uh, just honesty, uh, I had gumbo uh, yesterday for lunch. Uh, Jewish law would have said everything that I had for lunch was uh, going to defile me. That's how they understood it. But Jesus made all things clean and I got to eat some seafood gumbo recently. Verse 20, and he said... What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man and woman, out of the heart of people, come what? What, what comes out of our hearts? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all of us with a little bit of an honest streak in us are like, yep, and then some. <laughs> yep, I've got a little bit of that in there. I've got, I've got stuff coming out of my heart. It says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. When Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, they were so interested in outward expressions of faith and outward following of the rules that they were ignoring the heart. And when Jesus shows up, he says, you've heard it say that you shouldn't step out on your marriage and commit adultery. But I say to you, you really should be more concerned about the heart that's causing that to happen. And if it turns out that the eye was causing you problems, get rid of it. If it turns out the hand is causing you problems, get rid of it. If it turns out your connection to the internet is what's causing you problems, then get rid of it. But the truth is, is that none of those things are really what's causing you problems. What's really causing you and me problems is that our heart is deceitful and it lies to us constantly, telling us what we want to hear, tickling our ears. Just go get it. We don't even have permission to blame the devil yet. <laughs> like the devil isn't even in this equation. It's just Jesse in his heart lying to himself, causing all of his own problems. 
Because every problem I've ever found myself in, my heart said first, hey, I got a good idea. I got a good idea. Go chase that kid down. Don't worry about the padlocks. It's fine. It won't hurt. It won't hurt nearly as bad. It's the heart. This whole, this whole passage, uh, even, even last week's, it ends up that Jesus is really trying to drill us down to the heart. And at the heart of it all, we're all in the sinking ship, right? We, we walk into the Sermon on the Mount. Some of us feel like we're more religious than others. And some of us look over there and say, they've got it put together and I'm a sinking ship. And some of us are like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm patching the holes the best I can. Uh, by the time we get finished with this chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, we all sit down. We're like, yeah, all of our boats are going down. What are we going to do? And Jesus raises his hands and says, I've come to fulfill the law. Jesus is the solution for Jesse's anger. Jesus is the solution for, for whatever problems we find in the heart. Jesus is the answer. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, because he moves from lust, and now he's going to talk about divorce. It says in verse 31, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard where they ignore the whole Sermon on the Mount, they take this one passage, and then they want to talk about marriage and divorce. And I, honestly, it just misses the point. Because in the chiasm, which is what we're in, it's all of the echoing of the ideas. What's going on culturally in, in here is... Um, you have, uh, you have a group of people uh, that uh, they're, they're married, uh, and, and they decide uh, they want to upgrade. They wanna, I, I just I want to marry into a better family. I want to get a younger wife. And, and they've, they've convinced themselves that all God needs is for me to find a religious leader and to sign the certificate. And so with a little bit of money, a little bit of schmoozing, maybe I throw a party and get the Pharisee over to my house and we have a great time. And I just tell him like, you know what? My wife is just kind of mean to me and you know, I don't like the way she looks. And uh, can, can, can you just fill this out for me? And yeah, God's cool with that. God's perfectly fine. And they'd sign the certificate and then divorce. It's legal. It's final. And the man would walk away from the divorce as I've done what God expects. And the woman walks away from the divorce as I've lost everything because they don't do alimony. They don't do protection. There's, there's, who's going to protect my, who's going to protect my kids? How do I, how do I survive in a culture that depends on the man is the one who works and I provide for the family and you just, you just left me? You just left me? So maybe, maybe a woman in that situation would go to that man and say, you, you, this can't be right. And the man says, what are you talking about? It can't be right. God's cool with it. God's perfectly fine. I got this stinking certificate signed by Pharisee John over there. Like, whatever. And we hear that as completely foreign. That's like, no, surely that's not how people were. So, so, much, of, so much of what we do is we find in ourselves this desire to play loophole games with the word of God, with the expectation of God. You know what God's desire is? Is that uh, marriage would reflect the covenant between him and the church. That's, that's why God is a big fan of marriage. Um, the reason why he is against divorce as a general premise is because when there is a divorce, it's as if the metaphor that God would give up on the church or that the church can somehow separate from God, that God uses marriage as an example of his covenant with us. And then you have religious leaders here in this, in this passage that they just play patty cake with it. They're just like, it's not serious. It's just, you know, I'll sign that, I'll sign that decree. 
The pastor who stands up and like preaches this like 30 minute sermon about how like evil divorces is missing the point of this. The point of this is getting to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is God really cares that, that we represent him and that our hearts are focused on him. And when we find in ourselves a heart, a desire to, I'm gonna find a loophole to get out of this marriage so I can upgrade to the, the younger model of, of a wife, that is nowhere close to God's heart. Yet they were manipulating the words of God to make that the case. Much the same way that I said last week that I might manipulate the laws of our traffic system to say this really isn't a handicapped spot and so I can park wherever I want. You'll have to look at the video for last week to know what I'm even talking about. We'll keep going in verse 33. He says, again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, that's a pretty good one. That's pretty good that you just do what you say. You, you promise God you're going to do something. This follows right after divorce for the purpose of that you make a vow in a marriage. But he says, I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What was the practice then is that they would enter into like government uh, 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 contracts with one another. Like, hey, I'm going to buy that land from you. I'm going to enter into a contract. Do you swear you're going to pay it in full? I swear by the hair on Aunt Gladness's chin that I'm going to... I'm going to follow through with it. They'd have these like big elaborate swears and oaths and I swear by the throne of heaven I'll do this. And Jesus is like, you don't have control over any of that junk. Why would you swear by it? Aunt Gladness isn't going to shave her chin hair. You, you, can't, you can't swear by that. And you can't swear by God's footstool and you can't swear by the hair on your own head because you don't control that. You can't swear by anything. Just simplify your life. Say yes if you mean yes and say no if you mean no. Because if I could create a really elaborate oath and you don't know this by my story, but I actually don't have an Aunt Gladness. And so later, whenever I don't come through on the contract, I say, yeah, it was really elaborate, but I don't even have an Aunt Gladness, so I'm out. I'm good. And God knew that. You didn't. You're a dummy. And I just tricked you because I was living in kind of a, I wasn't, it wasn't simple. It wasn't yes means yes, no means no. I get so lost in a world of subtext where someone will say one thing and then someone later has to tell me, it's like, you, you, know, you know she's mad at you, right? Like, no, I didn't. No, tell me. How do you know? Well, it was obvious. And how she said it, you know, how she looked and she did that thing and she looked that way and she said that one thing. You remember that one thing? And I'm like, no, she said it was great. I don't know what we're, we're talking about. And we live in a, I, I may have like a significant, I need like a subtext translator to just help me know like when I've stepped in, in some trouble of some kind. Uh, and Jesus He's making the case for, you know what? Just let yes be yes and no be no. Anything more than that, it comes from the fact that we're evil. Anything more than this is the truth comes from the fact that sometimes we don't tell the truth. When, when, when you begin a sentence with like, hey, listen, all right, I'm, let me be honest with you, okay? Okay, great. What were you doing the last two hours we were talking? Was all of that a lie? Uh, no, we, we say things like that because we know in our, in our hearts is this incredible ability to deceive ourselves and then we, we let it give us excuses to deceive other people. And sometimes, sometimes when we face a problem, instead of talking about the problem, we talk around the problem. And sometimes when we face a problem with a person, instead of talking to the person, we talk around the person and about the person. 
and Jesus is like, no, my kingdom, we should just like get rid of all that subtext, all that complication. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because, because he wants our hearts to be pure. The goal of, of Jesus is that our hearts would, would no longer be capable of deceiving ourselves. And we do that by just being honest with it and, and like let Jesus work on us a little bit uh, so that we don't have to beat around the bush. We just say plainly, you know what? You hurt my feelings. I don't have to like go slash your tires now. I just said it. I, I can just be honest with you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really scared right now. Next hurricane that comes, I'm, I, every time, every time it hits the Gulf, I'm just like, I kind of chatter. I'm like, I'll bite my nails and I look at it. And, and if, I'm, if I'm letting my heart lie to me, then I'll act out in anger. Like, what do you, you don't even understand. You don't, under, you don't get it. But if I just tell you, like, you know what? Kind of make me nervous. It's getting me in my feels. PTSD's kicking off. Uh, I'm more honest with you. Honestly, I'm more honest with myself. So much of what we do when we lie to ourselves, when we let our hearts lie to us, is that we let our hearts tell us that we're strong and we're independent. And, and the reality is, is that we're really not, and we really need each other. And we, we stop listening to the lies that we tell ourselves, and we just start turning to each other for comfort. We start turning to the Lord and just saying, I'm scared about that. I'm hurt about that. Uh, there's this lustful intent. Please take that away. Uh, boom, take all these things, instead of letting our heart lie to us. The measure that Jesus ended this entire passage with, uh, and it's a little out of order, but you can find it in verse 48, because he ends the whole anger stuff, the whole love your enemy stuff, the whole lust, the divorce. The, the measure is this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's not, it's not, am I better than this person? It's not, am I better than even I was? Whenever I look over the entire scope of my life, Jesse's life, and I honestly assess it, uh, Perfection is what I should be aiming at. And if I don't make it, I don't make it. There's not like, oh, I get second place. No, 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 like perfection. The perfection of God. And I'll be honest with you. I look at my heart, and maybe you do too. I look at my heart and I say, it's not perfect. In some ways, it's, it's a madhouse. In some ways, there's like that clown from it, just like, ha <laughs> and just like jumps out and attacks. Because like, I don't know why my heart lies to me all the time. Uh, but it does. But perfection is the standard, Jesus says. I've said, I've said a dozen times that Jesus comes to tell us what God is like, what he's really like, and show us in his actions what he really cares about. And when he tells us what God is really like, he says, it's not a second place and a third place or you're better than that one guy down the street. It is perfection or we're falling short. And so what I'm left with, as I read the Sermon on the Mount, everybody who heard the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you too, as you, as you re- review this, is... I'm not perfect. My heart's been lying to me for a long time saying, hey, you're good enough, man. It's all right. You got, we got this. We got this. Nope, heart's lying, and it's going to cause me to destroy myself if I just keep listening to it. But when I read God's word, it says that I'm not perfect, but it tells me what I do with that. It tells me that there's hope in Jesus because he's already fulfilled the law. It tells me that the reason for the cross is that no one is perfect, no, not one. It emphasizes it with that double, like, bleep, bleep, bleep. No, not one. Not one. Not one of us, not one of you is perfect. And Jesus says, I can make that okay. So what we're left with, you and I, what we're left with is a clear understanding of what Jesus says, the argument that he's making about what God is really like, and a choice. 
See, some of, us, some of us know a time or know people who we deny God and we deny Jesus because we don't understand. We deny out of ignorance. Uh, but when we read Jesus' words for exactly what they are, um, you're left with, you deny Jesus and say, I'm going to take my perfection to the throne and let him judge me based on my own terms. And Jesus says, that's an option. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's an option. The other option is, I'm going to go to the throne with Jesus' perfection. And I'm going, to let, I'm going to let God judge me on Jesus' perfection because Jesus fulfilled the law and I didn't, and I'm going to trust him as king. That's what Christianity is. Christianity isn't a bunch of, I'm holier than you, nanner, nanner, boo-boo, you should get your life right. Christianity is, I realize I'm not perfect. I realize that my heart's been lying to me for a long, long time. In fact, the only thing that I found that tells my heart the truth is God's word, He's telling me the truth about who I am. And when I read it, I see myself in it. The mistakes he says that I will make, I know I have made. And I know I have the capacity to do it so many more times. Why is this in me? Jesus says, well, if it's your right eye, pluck it out, throw it away. If it's your right hand, pluck it out, throw it away. Well, Jesus, what if it's my heart? Aha, pluck it out, throw it away. It's better for me to go forward trusting the heart of Jesus than it is trusting my deceitful heart that lies to me. I want to say uh, a few things. One is that uh, the truth about all of this is we're terrible at identifying our own problems until we read God's word. So, so first I would say this, is that kingdom citizens, um, we've identified correctly the problem uh, of our deceitful heart. We've identified it correctly because the word teaches us that. We've identified it correctly because we surround ourselves with people who tell us the truth. Somehow or another, we identify it correctly. But now that we know the problem, we know where to go for the solution. See, when, when the problem is, uh, I need a new wife, then the solution must be divorce. Well, that's not the problem. When the problem is, I deserve this because I've had a really bad day, then the solution is, I fill my life with things that are really toxic because I tell myself it's okay. But that's not the real problem. The real problem is that my heart is deceitful. So what do I do with that? The real problem is that God says that perfection is the standard, and I realize I don't have perfection, so what do I do with that? We said it last week, but it's in 1 John. We'll pull it up right here. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we're perfect, we're lying to ourselves. Our heart's, our heart's already lying to us. If everything I've said right now, you're in, in the room, you're online, and you're like, I hear what you're saying, Jesse, but that's not for me because you're talking about somebody else. I don't have those problems. Uh, your heart's lying to you. Uh, your heart is currently deceiving you. Uh, because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John would say before that, that we also tell God that he's a liar, but that's, that's another verse. But verse nine says this, what do we do with that knowledge? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we go to the throne with our anger and we confess it to Jesus, he is faithful to forgive us He's just in doing so. And then he's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he fulfilled the law. That's why he's just. And then he has this ability to start doing heart surgery. And then, and then you get mad again. And you want to slash the tires of the guy who parks wrong in HEB. And you're just like, I'm sorry. Uh, and he cleanses you again. And every step where we see in ourselves imperfection, we lay it at the cross and he begins to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So what we're left with is we're, not, we're going to look at ourselves and we're not going to find out that we are perfect, but if we're a, a living, active Christian, we're going to find that we're being made perfect one confession at a time, over and over and over. 
We don't get to look at anybody and say, I'm better than you because we're all a hot mess, aren't we? Uh, But we do get to confess this. We get to confess it. We don't run to uh, the solution our heart says. We run to the solution God's word says. The second thing is uh, kingdom citizens choose truth over lies. And as a result, we're gonna find meaningful hope. We choose the truth of what God says about us over the lie of what my best friend says I deserve. We choose the truth over what God says about us over the lie that my heart is saying, look, honey, you know, you, you've done your best and just, you just need a chance to relax. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. Uh, that's the lie. But we choose the truth. And because we choose the truth, we find meaningful hope. The truth is a hard pill to swallow. It really stinks being told that my heart's been lying to me my whole life. That, like, come on, heart. Like, I thought we were tighter than that. Uh, that that's no bueno, but, but I would rather know I'd rather know that that's true than to continue the next 30 years living in that lie. But because I know that it's true and I can take that hard pill, I can run to hope. I find hope in Jesus now. And the third thing is this. Because Jesus uh, fulfilled the law, our king fulfilled the law, kingdom citizens don't run towards guilt and shame. The law tells us that our heart has been lying to us. That's the point of the law is to tell us the consequences of sin. It was never meant to redeem us. And so, and so minus the fulfillment, minus Jesus, all that's left is guilt and shame. And you just hope that lamb or that goat took care of it that year. But, but you and I who live in a, uh, uh, as kingdom citizens, as Christians, uh, we don't run towards guilt and shame. And we don't hide from it either. You know, people who hide from guilt and shame, they tend to try to drown it with a little bit of extra alcohol. They tend to try to drown it with a little bit of extra relationship. They drown it with a little extra pornography. They try to drown it and hide it and push it down and push it down. We don't do that either. No, what we do is that we take every bit of it to the cross. Every time our heart says, oh, Jesse, you're messing up again. Jesse, you're worthless. Jesse, you're an idiot. Take that to the cross. Jesse, you deserve this. Jesse, you're broken. Jesse, take that to the cross. And one by one, we just take it and we let go of it. Because you and I, we weren't meant to carry that much guilt and shame around. That's, that's Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that the king is saying, I'm coming to bring hope. I'm coming to release you of that burden and then empower you to live in a freer way, which is what we're going to begin talking about next week. What do we do now that we're released? Uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll watch the cue together. Father, uh, this morning we thank you for your word and the truth that's in it. Lord, uh, protect us from the lies that we tell ourselves. Protect us from the consequences of trusting those lies. Empower us, Lord, to just lay things down at your feet and trust your sovereignty and your goodness. We need help, um, but in you is real hope. So we trust you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.